What's going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to the Zoe Church Podcast. Uh, We're a church here in Los Angeles, all about Jesus and all about sharing the message of Jesus. And we want to say thank you to everyone who has uh, given us a rating, a review, who has shared the podcast, who subscribed to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for doing so. We value each and every one of you, and we'd love your feedback in, in the reviews. So thank you so much. And we want to say thank you to everyone who gives and helps us send the message message of Jesus around the world. Check this out. This last week, we've recorded our 10,000th salvation here at Zoe Church, and it's because of your generosity. If you'd like to continue to give and help us in the message around the world, you can text Zoe to 77977, or you can give on our website, zoechurch.org. But without further ado, we're going to jump into today's message, uh, part three of a series called All About the Heart. And uh, why don't we lean in, take some notes, and let's see how God can teach us today through his word, and through Genesis chapter 2, how to live a life worth giving to. All right, let's go. Pastor Chad and Julia, they're traveling right now, and it's, it's pretty rare that they get to go on ministry trips together. They're all the way in Indonesia right now, in Jakarta, Indonesia. Yeah, some Jakarta fans in the house. <laughs> well, I think it's so cool that our church is able to go around the world and share the Zoe DNA, share the vision of our church around the world, and so I'm really excited for that. Uh, next week, Pastor Chad will be here, and uh, I'm really excited. I think we just have the most incredible pastors in the world. Can we put our hands together? Pastor Chad, Pastor Julia. And um, I want to I honor some people. Uh, they're not here, but Pastor Julia's parents are in the room. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Bob and Sue McGregor in the front row? Love you guys so much. I'm a little bit nervous that you guys are here, but um, I'm Nate, by the way. I'm on staff here at Zoe, and... Um, have been with Pastor Chad and Julia, my wife and I, since I was in high school, and I was just a knucklehead in high school, and now I'm just, I'm still the same thing, just a little bit older with kids, and so they've been putting up with me for a while, but I'm really excited. He'll be back next Sunday, they'll be back next Sunday, and next Sunday, we're doing something called Heart for the House, and yeah, I'm excited for Heart for the House. Maybe you've been coming to Zoe for a little bit. You don't know what that is. It's our annual over and above offering uh, where we kind of take a look at what God's provided for us this last year, and we thank him by giving an offering. And we, the offering is going to go into the vision that God has for our church. And so I'm really excited, you guys. We bought a building, okay? Like, we, Zoe, we bought a building. We're not going to have to come to Miguel Contreras, even though it's amazing, Miguel Contreras Learning Complex. We're going to shorten the name a little bit. It'll be great. But I'm really excited to see how our generosity can propel the vision that God has for Zoe forward. This last week, we saw 10,000 people say yes to Jesus over the course of Zoe's life. And so, yeah, we could put our hands together. Really exciting times for our church. But I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to jump in, and we're going to continue in the series we're in called All About the Heart. And uh, really, we just believe that Jesus is less concerned about anything else except for our hearts because he puts relationship as the premium in our lives. He puts relationship as the paramount. The number one thing that we should focus on is the number one thing that Jesus focuses on, and that's relationship, not religion. So it's not so much about what we do with our hands or our behavior, it's more about what we do with our heart. Because we believe that it starts on the, on the inside and then it shows up on the outside. I think a lot of us, we probably manage our, uh, the way people see us on the outside to mask what we're really experiencing on the inside. 
We want to take these, uh, this series and we want to address that God wants to work on the inside so you can live a life that honors him on the outside. Amen? Okay, if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If, you've, uh, if, you're, if you have a Bible and it says anything besides Genesis, you've gone too far. Uh, it's probably like on page 12 if you have a paper Bible. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we find ourselves in literally the very beginning of the Bible. The Genesis chapter 1, there's kind of a picture of how the world and the earth and the heavens were formed. And it's like from a 30,000-foot perspective. Then Genesis chapter 2, it zooms in, and it begins to tell us the story of Adam and Eve. You guys all know Adam and Eve, right? You've maybe heard of these characters before, these people before. The name Adam and the name Eve, they're not just names. They have really specific meanings in the scripture. Adam is the Hebrew word for man, and Eve is the Hebrew word for mother. So it's a story of the start of all humanity. This is the beginning of all humanity. So as God commands and talks to Adam and Eve, we can receive it as God talking to you and I. This isn't just a story of two individuals. This is a story that can be applied to you and I. So we jump in, Genesis chapter 2, and uh, God creates Adam, the Bible says, out of the dust of the ground. Then chapter 15, it says this, Lord God took the man, took Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Everyone say work it. To work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is like my kids eating any fruit. They feel like they'll certainly die. Chapter, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let me, let me just stop right there. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And it's, this is really interesting. It stands out a little bit because previous to this, in, in chapter one, God would create something or form something and he, on day one, and then he would end the day and say, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. All of a sudden, he creates man, and he looks, and he says, man is good, but there's something that isn't good, that he's alone. I just want to encourage you. There was no sin in the Garden of Eden yet, no transgression, no mistake, no shame, but it wasn't perfect because man was alone. It should be a sign for us that even if you do everything right, if you're not in healthy relationships, everything is wrong. It's still not good. So you could read your Bible, you could give it heart for the house, you could sing all the worship songs, but if you don't treat each other like Jesus would treat us, then all of a sudden things become a little bit off. From the very beginning, God noticed, hey, um, this is all great, but man cannot be alone. It goes on, uh, chapter 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever he called, or whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Womp womp. Uh, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. All the parents said, amen. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
In verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the honeymoon season, okay? They're both naked, felt no shame. Come on, let's pray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're taking notes, uh, maybe on your phone or something like that, you can write down today's title, A Life Worth Giving To. A life worth giving to. I'm just convinced that God wants to give you things and that he wants to teach you how to live a life worth giving to. Amen? Come on, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you are so generous. You are so kind. This morning, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd teach us, that you'd encourage us, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd teach us how to receive everything you have for us today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together. Amen. Okay, quick uh, scientific church poll. How many of you have ever asked for something you knew you probably couldn't handle? A few of us. I think all of us, right? Like, this is me every time I go to the buffet. Like, I got my stretchy pants on. The whole thing, I'm ready to go. Go to the buffet. Maybe it's all you can eat. Sushi, who knows what it is. Now I'm like, I'm getting five plates this time. I'm, I'm going in. Next thing you know, I'm like one plate down and I'm already ready for dessert. And I'm like, I should have just gone to Applebee's, just bought one entree, I would have been good to go. Like this is my son every day. Every day my son asks me for things he's not ready for. The other day my son asked me, Dad, I want to drive the car. I said, you're not ready to drive the car. He's like, I want to drive a spaceship. I don't know where the logical leap went, but if you're not ready for a car, you're probably not ready for a spaceship. The other day he comes up and he's like, Dad, I want you to give me a million dollars. I say, you're not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. But I think there's something within all of us, a desire for something bigger than our, our ability to be responsible for it. Like all of us, we have visions, we have a, a dream, we have ambitions, we have prospects. We want things that we don't even have the ability to be responsible for. If you don't believe me, watch this. 70% of lottery winners within five years have lost all of their money. Not just the money that they got from the lottery, they lost all their money. 67% of people who have a gym membership have never used it. And out of the ones who have, only 50% have used it more than once. Like, we want health. Look at me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm getting so personal. Welcome to my therapy session. I've used it twice, okay, twice. Part of the elite. <laughs> but I, I think it's true though. All of us, we want something in our life that's bigger than ourselves. And I, I hope you realize that that's been written into your DNA. That God created you with, with aspirations and, and, and dreams that are bigger than what you have now. God doesn't want you to stay exactly how you are. God actually, he wants to give you more. You can write down the uh, point number one. God wants to give you more. Turn to the person next to you say more. Turn to the other person and say even more. God wants to give you more today. God wants to give you more tomorrow. God wants to take your past experience and create more out of that to give you more today. More money? No. God won't give you money if it actually gets in the way of the things he really wants to give you. So why would he prop up a master that's smaller than him? 
I'm not here to tell you today that if you do all the right things, that God's going to send you a check. But I do know this, that if money isn't your master, God will give you the resources you need to fulfill everything he's called you to. So I'm not saying that God won't show up financially. I'm just saying if money's your master, God's going to make sure he humbles it before he gives it to you. God wants to give you more. What does he want to give you more of? More wisdom. More peace. More clarity. God wants to give you more rest. God wants to give you more community. God wants to give you more health in your relationships. But out of everything that God can give you, he wants to give you more of himself. At the end of the day, what's the, what's the scripture say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. When it says kingdom of God, we're not talking about some castle in the sky. What we're saying is seek Jesus first and all of these things will be given to you. But seek these things and you're going to miss out on these things and you're going to miss out on Jesus. He wants to give you more wisdom. James chapter 1, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he wants to give you more rest. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Man, I don't know about you, but these last years, these last months, I need more rest. Fall asleep at nine o'clock every night. I'm, I'm gonna get through like Survivor, you know, episode, season 42, I promise, but I need rest for my soul. God wants to give you more rest. It, it's interesting, Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Notice that the thing that God wants to give Adam is a person. Because God's blessing always flows through relationships. God's blessing always comes in the form of people or a person. Now, I think this is a problem for a lot of us. Is a lot of us, maybe our spirituality, our our relationship or, or our relationship with church and God and Jesus and this whole thing, it feels like we're uh, lacking of blessing or excitement or risk or this thing just feels flat. And it's because we're expecting blessing from religion where religion can only show you your poverty. You're like, okay, religion, okay, what is that? What I mean by that is religion is all the things that we can do on our own power so we try to impress God by praying more, worshiping louder, lifting our hands higher, by reading our Bible and checking off the box. I did my Zoe devotions, and we do all the things, and we realize we're still empty inside because we're trying to find validation by our ability and not God's generosity. Because blessing comes through relationship. That's why when you read the scripture, here's just like a I don't know, Bible reading hack. Like we're in TikTok terms now, okay? Stop looking for solutions to your problems and start looking for the person of Jesus. All of a sudden, you stop inserting yourself into the scripture and all of a sudden you start pulling Jesus out of the scripture. Can I just encourage you, or maybe I don't know, I just want to be honest with you, you're not the hero in the scripture. Like you're not the one who heals people, you're the one who needs healing. You're not David, you're probably Goliath or you're the Israelites. You're like, oh my gosh, he's so big. Like that's us. We need Jesus. He wants to give us more of who he is. He wants to give us more relationship, more of his generosity, more wisdom, more clarity. God has more. God wants to give you 
more. And then all of a sudden, when we put Jesus first, it's like, whoa, there's a lot of coincidences popping up in my life. What do we call them? Divine appointments. I've been praying for this person to show up, and now all of a sudden, God's given them to me. Maybe we should stop praying uh, that money would become the solution to our problem or start praying, stop praying for money so we can fix the problem and just start praying to fix the problem and allow Jesus to do his thing. I have a feeling that if we can start to flip that around, all of a sudden we can see money is not something that provides a service uh, for us, but it provides a service for God. And I hope that we don't flip it around and ask God to provide a service for money. We can go to prayer, and a lot of times our prayers can look like, God, I need you for rent, for my car payment. God, I need you for my 14 subscriptions to streaming services. And it's like really quickly, God can just become a servant to the money that we worship. But we can flip it and say, God, I want you to become the Lord of my life, and now money becomes the servant that honors God. Because God wants to give you more. And when God gives you more, it's because we can, we can give more. I like this next, this next point. You can write this down. Point number two, God will do his part, but he's waiting for our part. God will do his part, but he's waiting for our part. Uh, James says it like this, faith without works is dead. It's like, what a fun verse. Wait, we have to have personal responsibility for our faith? Absolutely. Because, by the way, if you didn't, there would, no, there would be no fulfillment or satisfaction when God actually shows up. See, stewardship is your half of the miracle. You want the miraculous to show up in your life? God's waiting to pour it out, but he can't pour it out on something that has no structure, no soundness, no foundation. Stewardship is your half of the miracle. All throughout the Gospels, I love what the Bible says. God, or Jesus performs so many miracles, there's not enough pages written in, or pages available in the world to write down all of the miracles that he's performed. Like you guys, we got cloud services, all the digital pages too. All of those count, there's not enough. I think at the end of our lives, when we're face to face with Jesus, we'll actually realize Every breath you take is a miracle from God. The blood coursing through your veins is a gift from God. Your heart beating is a gift from God. You waking up and opening your eyes, it's a gift from God. It's a miracle. Come on, this is the, the, the season of the miraculous. Miracle on 47th Street, whatever it is, on, on Lucas Ave. Like, What if we took a moment and just thank God? that the fact that we're here, eyes open, ears able to hear, is a miracle from God. Come on, why don't we just put our hands together and thank God right now. In, in, in the gospel, Jesus performs so many different miracles, but oftentimes he would come to someone and he'd ask them to do something before the miracle showed up. So his first miracle, he shows up at a wedding. It's, it's, it's a party. All the wine's gone already. It's, you know, it's crazy. And he says, uh, they run out of wine. And what do they say? Um, we're in desperate need of, of more wine. Um, I'm like, where's this going? This, a context. Okay, read the whole Bible. Um, but Jesus says, go and fill these pots with water. And then he turns them into wine. 
He comes across a paralytic man. He says, pick up your mat and go. So he picks up his mat, and he's not paralyzed anymore. He says to a man with a withered hand, it's, 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 a, it's a broken hand, he said, stretch out your hand. And when he did so, he healed it. What about Peter on the boat to the disciples? He said, throw your nets to the other side, and then he fills their nets with fish. It's the same water. It's just on the other side of the boat. Time and time again, he says to Peter, get out of the boat, and then he walks on water. It goes stewardship and then the miracle. In Genesis chapter 2, he does the same thing with Adam. He goes, uh, in chapter 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Like, you got to think, like, when he brings the leopard, and he's like, leopard. And then he brings the giraffe, and he's like, long neck leopard. Like, <laughs> you got to think, like, this is a process. God's like, oh, try again. Giraffe. Okay, that sounds good. Like, you got to think, this is a long, drawn-out process. God brings all the wild animals, all the livestock, all the birds in the air, and Adam takes time with God to name each one. Then it goes on, verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep after this. Notice, Adam didn't find any helper within the things that he was naming. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, this is really interesting, okay? He stewards first, and then he receives. We like the idea of receiving first, and then stewarding. So go like, okay, God, when you send me the check, when I win the lotto, I won't be like those, you know, irresponsible 70 person. I'll keep the money. I promise, God, you just got to send it first. We're waiting to receive. God, when I get married, then I'll become a real man. God, when you give me the opportunity, then I'll become disciplined. God, when... Uh, I get access to Equinox for free because it worked, then I'll get in shape. And we wait to receive and then steward. God's saying, how about you steward? Watch this. Imagine Adam didn't spend time with God naming the animals. God just gave him Eve. Adam needed the time with God to learn how to make mistakes, to learn, to be what, to learn what it's like to be in the presence of God. He had to be with God in order to steward the things from God. Some of us were like, I don't have anything to steward. How am I supposed to receive something? If you don't have anything, which by the way, you're all here, clothes on, praise God, you have something. Right? Steward your clothes well. Cold cycle, hang them, whatever it's got to be. It sounds so dumb, but it's... it's it's just true. Just steward what you have. Okay, let's not, let's go. Eat, uh, let's let's not talk about materials. How about you steward your attitude well? Ooh. Even before coffee, yeah. As soon as you wake up in the morning, how about you steward your attitude? It's like you wake up in the morning and come on, it's cold, like LA cold. You know, it's like forty-five degrees. Okay, I'm from Washington, forty-five and sunny, Lake Day, right? Here it's like, you wake up in the morning, steward your attitude straight from the get-go. You got to own your attitude, otherwise it'll own you. God, 
this morning, I, I don't even have words to say, so this prayer is, uh, is telepathic. I know that right now I want to crawl back into bed and I don't want anything to do with today. God, teach me how to honor you with my day today. Then you get out of bed. Go take a really hot shower. Get your coffee. I wonder what you could do in your workplace if you stewarded your attitude well. I wonder what type of blessing God will pour out, what type of favor he would pour out if you had a good attitude, if you stewarded your attitude. Come on, what about your disciplines, your habits? You can steward your habits well. You can steward your relationships well. You don't need money to steward those things well. But all of a sudden, God begins to pour out his blessing upon those things. All of a sudden, God gives you favor because he's waiting for you to steward first. I think it's really interesting. Throughout this scripture, uh, Adam could have just gone, you know, he could have just did his own thing and been like, um, okay, God, I'm going to choose this platypus to be my helper. Found it. Suitable helper. And he could have just gone about his way the natural way. And just said, okay, thanks, God, for, for sending all the animals. I think this one's pretty peculiar, peculiar, just like that word. <laughs> he could have gone with the platypus. He could have been like, this elephant is giant. I could get from here to over on that side of the garden really fast if I can ride the elephant. See, stewardship is not a Christian principle. If you're not a Christian, it still works. You can steward your life, and all of a sudden your life can get incrementally better. It, you can add on to your life. But when you steward natural things, you get natural results. If you steward heavenly things, you get supernatural results. So all of a sudden, we can put our hands together for that, the two people. That was great. Adam could have gone the natural route, and the elephant would have been great, but that thing would have paled in comparison to what a person could provide Adam. Notice, uh, Adam, when did the promise show up? When he was sleeping. Because stewardship is the platform that promises occur. Stewardship is that thing, all of a sudden you, you show God, I can steward what you've given me, and then you reach your potential, and that's the bottom of God's promise. Then the natural, you can get, you can reach your potential and it still pales in comparison to God's smallest promise. You can become the greatest version of you. The LA approved you. I'm healthy. I use charcoal on my toothbrush. I'm doing great. Every morning I wake up, I look in the mirror and I say, you're so handsome. I have all my affirmations in place and you'll reach your highest potential, it will fall short of God's promise. Because when you steward natural things, you only get natural results. When you steward heavenly things, you get heavenly results. So what does that mean? How do you steward heavenly things? You steward your identity, not the materials that you have. See, I don't want to become like a really good steward of money and a really poor steward of who I am. I want to steward who I am in God, who God's called me to be. So I don't want to steward money and go, I got a big bank account. I want to steward the fact that I'm a generous person. 
I'm generous in Jesus, so I want to steward my money in a way that I can give freely. I can give joyfully. I can give cheerfully. A lot of us, we can't give that way because we're stewarding money, not our identity. I'm a kind person because I'm in Christ. Christ is kind, so I want to steward kindness. I don't want to just send compliments and nice, nice things to people on social media to look a certain way because if you do that, your reward will be the retweet. It'll be the stamp of approval from a person who, by the way, is going through the same issues. They're probably just going to tell you what they want to hear themselves, and you go through a cycle of weird, toxic validation. So you put your trust in Jesus. I want to steward who I'm called to be in Jesus I don't want to steward what the world says is success. I don't want to steward what my parents told me was success. I want to steward a life. Maybe you're like, okay, you said steward 47 times. What does it mean? Definition of stewardship, let me give it to you. In the context of Christianity, in the context of our faith. Stewardship is worshiping God with what you have. That's it. I want to worship God with what I have with what's in my hands, with, what, with, with what's in my heart, with what's in my mind, I want to worship God with what I have. Write down point number three. I'm gonna invite the band back up. What we don't steward shrinks. What we do steward multiplies. What we don't steward shrinks. What we do steward multiplies. In other words, we can either use what we have to worship God or eventually those things will worship us. And um, just like anything else in life, we might be asking for something we're not ready for. Just like the buffet, just like the dreams, just like the ambitions, if we're not careful, we'll use what we have to worship ourselves instead of worship God. And when you don't steward something, it shrinks. If you steward it, it'll multiply. Watch this in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, let, me, let me give you some context first. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, maybe you guys have heard of the, the story of the talents. Okay, we're going to NIV, Nate International Version. And uh, it doesn't say talents, it says bags of gold, just because I like gold. Matthew 25, uh, it starts out the story that uh, Jesus is telling this parable, right? Jesus is telling a story trying to make a point. And he says, imagine there's a businessman, he's a shrewd businessman, and he's going off on a journey to do business. And he has his three uh, trusted sidekicks with him, or maybe they're business partners or employees, whatever they may be. And he says, okay, to you, I'm going to give five bags of gold. To you, I'm going to give two bags of gold. And to you, you're kind of new around here, I'll give you one bag of gold to steward, to watch over, to be responsible for while I'm gone. The Bible says that the, uh, the businessman, he goes on his journey, and when he comes back, he asks the man who he gave four, or sorry, five talents to, five bags of gold to, and he says, okay, look, I've taken your five bags of gold, and I've turned them into 10 bags of gold. I want that type of investment action in my portfolio. Everybody said amen. Crypto. Like, what? This opposite. <laughs> Housing market. Like, Nate, where are we going with this? The man with five, he, he turns it into 10. Then the man with two, he says, hey, welcome back, boss. Check this out. I turned your two bags of gold into four bags of gold. 
And then we pick up in Matthew chapter 25. The man comes to the guy he gave one bag to. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. This guy really is Scrooge. So you knew that I harvest where I, not, where, I do not, where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money in the bank on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Listen to verse 29. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw away that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, he could just said he was fired, but he's got to go throw away the worthless servant. Okay. Notice the man with, with now 10 bags of gold. He didn't just have it multiplied, but he had it added on top of what he was able to do to it. I think if, if we're not careful, we can adopt, inherit this mentality of trying to survive, trying to hold what's ours. I, this is what I have. I'm just going to make sure it's safe. No one can take it from me. This is mine. Can't have it. The problem with living a life like that, the problem with living a life of lack, of, of poverty, of, of small-mindedness is a posture of holding back can never be a posture of receiving. But an open hand of giving is the same open hand as receiving. So all of a sudden we go, okay, God, what I have, it's, I like it a lot. It's 10 bags of gold. God says, because you've stewarded it, I'm going to even add more. Maybe it's not bags of gold. I don't even know who rocks bags of gold anymore. Maybe it's those things we were talking about at the beginning. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's clarity. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's relationships. What would happen, married people, if you stewarded your your marriages, well. Single people, what would happen if you stewarded yourself well? Those of you in debt, what would happen if you handled your finances well? Everything you have can be used to worship God. That's called stewardship. If you don't use it to honor God, it'll shrink back. Watch, if you don't steward your money, the Bible says that it'll fly away with wings. It's going to shrink. If you don't steward your relationships, like all of us do this, right? Stop texting your friend for a while. Stop calling your mom every week, every day, whatever it looks like for you. Stop telling your spouse how much you love them. Watch your relationships shrink. Come on, your faith? Stop stewarding your faith. All of a sudden it's like, I gotta go to church. 
because this week has been so hard. Where's God? It's because we're not stewarding it, and so it shrinks. That's why we sing the song, God, Jesus is, is magnified because we want to make him big in our life. Because what you steward, God will multiply. And I encourage you, the, however small this thing shrinks, God can multiply it in a day. God can multiply in a second. God can multiply in a response. God can, he can press a fast forward. He can grow this thing. He can turn the water into the wine. He can heal the hand. God can perform. He can tell you to walk out and you'll walk on the water. You can steward a word from God and all of a sudden the miracle is in your lap. It starts there. Because every breath is a miracle. Steward your breath. Every waking day is an opportunity to give thanks to God. I wonder what your life would look like if you said, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I, I, I want to decrease. I want to shrink. My potential can never reach your promise. God, I don't want anything to do with what I can do alone. But God, I want you to teach me, show me, uh, have me learn how to steward everything you've given me. Because when you steward it, I, I want to be careful with what I'm saying. We're, we're in this series. It's all about the heart. Because we're talking about this idea that that money, that status, that finances, that this whole system of the world has our heart before it has anything else. I want to be really careful with what I'm saying. I'm not saying steward your life so you can get more. And you can store it away. I'm saying live a life worth giving to so you can live a life worth giving through. So that the salvation that you receive, you can give it to other people. So the joy that you can have, you can give joy. So the peace you have, you can give peace. So the happiness that you have, the confidence that you have, the resources that you have, the home that you have, the car that you have, the subscription services that you have, give it away. And watch God give more, amen? Come on, stand to your feet this morning.